Hey, this is Kevin, the student pastor at Short Church Again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We strive each week to bring relevant, practical, biblical teaching that meets you where you are. To stay up to date with what's going on at the church or to support the mission financially, head over to scog.com or download our app. I hope you enjoy the message. Good morning, church. How are we doing today? Doing all right? Doing all right. Okay, good, good, good. Um, we had a glimmer of this thing called sunshine yesterday. So, of course, all the neighborhood kids are in my backyard yesterday. I'm like, well, it's back. Here we go. Uh, what's that noise? Oh, it's just Bowen body slamming somebody on the uh, trampoline. Okay, cool. Anybody crying? Nope. All right, we're good. Uh, so, uh, but it's just a fun time, right? Everyone uh, kind of starts. It was fun to see our, our neighborhood start to come alive. The little girls that live two doors down. There's another set of twins. And they start. You could hear the chirping going on uh, over there. And just all the excitement just start. Everyone wanting to be outside when it's not, you know, negative 800 or whatever it is. So uh, it's fun to be a part of that. It's also amping up the idea of how we're going to interact with our neighbors. Yes, you're going to have to talk to them again. I know some of you are like, ah, I'd like ignoring them. But others, you're like, ah, I get to talk. I get to start having conversations. Uh, The girl that lives next door to us came home for college. It's her spring break. That's nice uh, for her. That's like a nice tropical, nothing like coming to uh, Plainfield Joliet area for uh, for spring break, right? But to be home and to, to get to talk to her and to, to just to see her again, just how that's all going to start happening again in our own different contexts. How do we engage in that? Because it's an opportunity to neighbor well. It's an opportunity to follow after Christ in those moments. And it's an opportunity to love well. And so uh, let's not miss these opportunities. I know it's so easy to get caught up in our own little stuff. And I got to go to this practice and I got to do this and I got to mow this grass and I got to 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 and I got to. And I gotta. You've also got to breathe for a second and notice what's going on in you because you are divinely called to the spot in which you live. The people that live next to you are your missionary field. Okay. So in those moments, calm down a little bit. I'm talking to myself here right? Breathe and enjoy what God has enabled you to do in the context in which you've been placed. And so we're to kind of press into that, to push into that. We're entering into a series called follow me. It's all about discipleship. How do we become more like Christ? And now this funky church word of discipleship, right? It really just means to become more like Jesus. Actually, it's not even it's to become more like whoever your teacher is, to embody that idea, to, to start to be like them. It's a very counter idea to what is going on in um, maybe our educational system today. I can count uh, three teachers that had a huge impact on my life. Three. I had a whole heck of a lot of teachers, right? Uh, college professors, uh, not, notwithstanding, but three elementary kindergarten to um, senior in high school, there's three teachers that that I can really remember. Now, not to depress all you educators out here because we have a lot. Maybe you're one of those three. Okay, I, I'm sure you are. Um, but, but to think about that, I was, oh, I don't want to take that class. I don't want to be around that person. My schedule went around who I don't want to be around, not necessarily who I want to be around. Am I the only person that I generally went with teachers who didn't mind people who talk a lot in class? Don't know where I got that one from, but uh, that's, that's how I you know, planned out my day. 
And maybe uh, you guys remember the same thing. But when you engage in a teacher, a teacher who has that moment of when they speak to you. And if you talk to an educator, these are the moments that they live for is where they, they see that spark in you and they can do something with it. They can light some sort of fire. They help you in some way. And your life is forever changed because of those moments. My favorite teacher of all time was my ceramics teacher. The teacher who had the most impact on my entire life as non my parents was my ceramics teacher, not my AP whatever class, not the one who gave me the most homework, my ceramics teacher. Okay. So all you parents who are like, get on your kids. You got to take 18,000 AP classes. Ceramics is pretty important. Okay. Because this guy saw me at my worst and he said, you're better than that. You can do more than that. I see more than you. And he changed my life around as a junior in high school. He spoke into me in a way that I had never been spoken into. Probably other people were saying it. I had never listened to it. But what that transformed in me is I want to be like Mr. Evans. I want to be like Mr. Evans. Mr. Evans was a uh, bodybuilder in college and, uh, he was probably 50 years old when I had him as a ceramics teacher. He still was jacked and uh, not to the size. He showed me pictures one time of, of him in college. I was like, oh my goodness, this dude was ridiculous. And he said, hey, because I was lifting and swimming all the time. I know you can tell that I'm a fitness freak. Um, at 17, you would be able to tell, uh, but not now. Uh, so uh, what I did and what he offered was, hey, come, to, come uh, with me at six o'clock in the morning and we'll lift together. Now, you know that I, if you know me at all, six o'clock in the morning is not my time. There's guys in here like, Hey, Jerry, let's do breakfast. Sure. Nine o'clock. Uh, it's fine. No, Jerry, how about seven 30? Okay. I'll be there at eight. No, you think that's, I might be present at seven 30, but nothing's happening. Right. It's like the, the, the B line of my brain activity would be flatlined. Okay. So he gets me out of bed. For six o'clock in the morning to go lift with him before school. Why? Because I, I was already in a serious lifting regimen, doing all the stupid things that you needed to do to be in good shape. But he was speaking into my life and I wanted to be just like Mr. Evans. That's discipleship. That, that is what it is lived out. Okay. To sit under someone and say, you have an effect on my life. I want to be just like you, and I don't even know what that looks like yet, but I'm going to, I'm all in. I will wake up at stupid amounts of time. I will do whatever needs to happen because I want to be just like you. That's discipleship. So we as an American church have followed our public education system and discipleship is I've got to learn these six steps. I got to do, hold my tongue right these ways. And I got to do this. That's not discipleship in the way the scripture teaches the, the way discipleship is in the way the scripture teaches is I want to be just like Jesus. So uh, when we look at that, when we, we see that for the next bunch of weeks, we're going to start looking at the different filters in which we have here at the church to try to be like Jesus. Now, this is not going to be a 10 step plan. If we hold your tongue right and your foot right and you go like this, you're going to be a perfect little Jesus at the end of it. But this is how we're transforming and morphing our souls and our hearts and our minds to be more like Jesus. And I hope that you'll join me on this journey. Okay, so that's what we're going to be about. I'm very excited about this series. It's going to be a little different than what we normally do. Um, but I mean, I guess normal is different for us. So there you go. Uh, so we're going to jump fully into that. Jesus gives the command to follow me to a bunch of punk teenagers. 
Now, only one of them was probably uh, out of the adolescent period, Peter, because he's got a wife. Uh, well, we, we know he has a wife because he has a mother-in-law because Jesus heals her. But other than that, we're like, okay, you're the oldest at whatever age you were, but the rest of them are probably you know, upper teenage boys, and that's who he's calling. He said, follow me. He's giving a command to these guys and saying, why don't you follow me? And in that honoring statement, this, there's a lot that transfers in this moment when he says, Peter, follow me, John, follow me, Andrew, follow me. There's a huge thing that happens and why these guys are willing to sell their possessions, to jump off a boat and be like, okay, I'm walking off the job to follow you. Now, maybe they really hated their job and it was a good offer, but I don't know. Like some of you are like, yeah, if someone told me to follow me at work, I'd be like, sure, why, why not? You don't know what my boss just said to me, all right? But, but these guys just, they abandoned everything, everything they knew to follow after Jesus. Why would you do that? Because of the honor of being able to follow someone you believed in. Because being a disciple at, the turn, at, the, at 30 AD was to say, you know what? I'm going to transform my whole life to be just like you. There's stories in the rabbinical literature. <clears throat> this is not Jesus, but these are other rabbis of guys who they wanted to be so much like their rabbi that they would follow them into the bathroom, right? Now, if Kevin followed me in the bathroom, I'd be like, dude, we're getting a little space issues going on here, buddy. Right? So, and that's what happened. The rabbi's like, no, 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 no. Why don't you go out? Guys were trying to sneak into the bedrooms of the rabbi, not in some creepy fa- fashion because they wanted to know exactly how their rabbi conducted himself in all situations. That's kind of weird, a little, little extreme, but you get the, get the baseline of that. I want to do everything just like you. I want to be just like you. That's what discipleship is. That's what, when we say we're going to be a disciple of Jesus, we've got to quit thinking, well, I've got to, I've got to get these five steps down or if I ace that test, or I got to take this survey and I'm going to be a perfect disciple. That's not what it's about. It's about aligning our heart and our soul and our mind with who Jesus is and trying to every day make the decisions to come more and more and more in contact with that. Does that make sense? So Jesus calls us to be a disciple. He says, come follow me. But then he also in the great commission says, you go and make disciples. Now we have interpreted that as go and make converts to Christianity. That is part of it. But the bigger aspect is you're asking people, come follow me, do what I do and live the life that I have. Now, part of that is that you will fall in love with Jesus because I have fallen in love with Jesus. But even more, you will align your life in the way that I've aligned my life to come, become more and more and more and more and more like Jesus. It's not just about, can you lead someone to Jesus and say, say the sinner's prayer with somebody? It's about how do you conduct yourself? There's a disconnect there. And that's why I think sometimes there's been some really good salesmen that have, have won a bunch of people to Jesus but they're not living out what Christ-like behavior is. And so there's a disconnect and we have fallen pastors and we have guys in the news all the time doing stupid stuff because there's a disconnect. We haven't become who we're trying to be in Jesus. I'll tell you what, I'm a terrible sales guy. I've tried to be sales before. I don't, I don't do it well. You're like, no, I'm like, okay. Like, that's not what a salesman does. Salesman, no, they don't hear the word no, and then that makes them a better salesperson. I'm like, okay, he, he doesn't like me. Sorry, Josh. Okay, maybe next time I'll call you in a year. Yeah, I'm a terrible sales guy, but I don't care about the sales. I want to help you align your heart and your mind and your soul with Jesus. So as a people of God, as a church, that's what we're about. 
in this community, if we can start showing people what it means to align your heart and your soul and your mind with Jesus, what does that look like? What does that do for us? How does that change? I think it changes a lot of different things for us. It changes how we conduct ourselves. It changes how we parent, how we are married, how it changes the way in which we conduct ourselves at work. It changes the way in which we conduct ourselves at our kids' sporting events. It changes all of it. My dad's back today. <laughs> it changes all of it. Um, so disciple in Greek is the Greek word methetes, methetes. I'm probably mispronouncing it, but it's a 2000 year old dead language. So I can't offend anybody. Um, methetes is to be a student, to be a follower, to be a student or to be a follower, to be a mini me, if you will. Like I said, it's not like our, our Western education society. It's not just a, I can take this class or you know, there's these apps in college now that you can write your professor and be like, this guy's a jerk and you know, all this stuff. That is not the concept here. Okay. Methetes is I'm going to sit under you. I'm going to learn and glean everything I possibly can from you. I got a picture of a methetes in my life right now. If you'd put up the picture of Kendall and Lucy, if you see these two, now those are two different girls taken at two years old. Kendall is, well, I don't know which site she's on for you guys. The, she's on there. Uh, so everything's inverted. I got, okay. Uh, and then Lucy's in the purple there. That'd be the easiest way to get right and left. So that's Kendall and Lucy at two years old, basically the same age within a month or two of each other. Now they, they have the same facial expressions, the same everything. Uh, Lucy's eyes are a little different than Kendall's. Lucy has my eyes. Kendall has Kelly's, but that's about the difference uh, in the two of them. It goes even farther than that because Lucy, she can't say Kindle and she can't say the S and sissy yet. So Kindle has now become E and forever will be E in our family. E and she is a methetes of E. If you walk into my house, Lucy is wearing Kindle's shoes. She is dressing like Kindle. She's now because uh, Kindle this week was wearing a bunch of sweater wraps and trying to be all stylish because, you know, we're in third grade now and we got we to gotta have it going on. <laughs> Lord help me. Uh, so we got, we, got, we got all that going on. So Kindle or Lucy all week long was going in. You might have seen her little a coat she had on today that she will not take off because E was wearing a coat. Now I have to wear a coat. Little Miss two, two-year-old, it has to be just like E. If I can't ever find Lucy in the house, I know exactly where she's at. She has climbed up into E's bunk bed and is hiding out in Lucy in Kendall's bed. Okay? Now, it's a bunk bed. She should not be climbing this ladder, but it, it is where she, she's up there. And she's having the time of her life playing with Kendall's books and reading Kendall's stuff and getting into Kendall's um, fingernail polish, which is a, another exciting thing. And just doing everything because she wants to be just like E. as a methetes. Okay? So I've broken it down here for a two-year-old. To a nine-year-old, you guys understand that, but that is what we have to embody when we think about how are we becoming like Jesus? This is, in essence, the discipleship model in which the Bible says, okay, whatever you do, how do you conduct yourself? How do you brush your teeth? How do you do all these things? How are your decisions made? How do you treat people? All of it. So this methetes relationship, how do I do this? I'm a student, a follower. Not just I have to take this class, but I'm going to embody who you are. That, 
I think that because like Lucy's trying to even look like Kendall. And you all, if you've had kids or you've been, you've been a, had an older sibling, you probably understand uh, what that looks like. Uh, as an only child, I'm like, what is going on? This is weird. But that's what's happening. And it's beautiful to see, which also puts a lot of pressure on the discipler, right? As Christians, when we live out the great commission to go and make disciples, the pressure's on you. You better conduct yourself in a way in which is worthy of someone else morphing their life to be like yours because you're morphing your life like to be like Jesus. You see the, the train of events going on there? It's very interesting. Discipleship is the process of reforming your life around a teacher. Discipleship is the process of, of reforming your life around the teacher. We hear the sayings, oh, I can't teach old dogs new tricks. You can teach old dogs new tricks. It just takes more treats. <laughs> you, can teach, you can teach them anything, and you to be... Uh, it doesn't matter how old you are. You can learn new behaviors as well. Discipleship is the process of reforming your life around a teacher. Scripture for today is the Great Commission, <clears throat> Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, not just the people you like, the people you don't know, and the people you don't even understand. Show them this way of living. So I, uh, how do we do this? I think it is we start to incorporate filters into our life that start to help us see where the pollution of the world hits us and how we filter that out to live the way in which God has called us to. There's two distinct reactions to trying to be a better disciple, trying to be more like Christ. The, the first is one that I think Church of God Anderson, the, the movement in which we belong to, has tried in the past, and we're trying some different stuff now. And it's the road of legalism. I'm going to build a bunch of walls around me so that I won't sin or that no sin can be around me. The problem with that is if I build a bunch of walls, I can't be with you, <laughs> right? If I'm stuck behind a wall, I'm like, hey, you be better. That doesn't work, right? Discipleship works because the way, the very way which Jesus set it up is you've got to be near me so you can see how I react to different, uh, that there are different ways to live and react to uh, trials and issues and stuff. So you've got to be near me. And so, uh, and don't, I'm not picking on church of God Anderson. That's just been the reaction for thousands of years. Even in Jesus's time, two of the major Jewish sects reacted the same way. There was sin issue going on in Jewish people. The Pharisees, the guys who are always yelling at Jesus throughout uh, the Bible, they're the chief wall builders, okay? They're like, oh, that's sin. I'm going to build a wall over here, and no one can, we can't, we won't get even close to sinning. So we just build walls. The other reaction, one of the other reactions was the Essenes, and you don't hear about the Essenes in the scripture, and they would like it because they ran away. They went to the desert. They're like, you guys are weird, you're wicked, you're nasty. I'm out. That's what they did. They ran away. They, they become a, a monastic, basically, order. John the Baptist may have been in a scene. Um, so that's the kind of crew he ran with, with the camel hair and the locusts and the, uh, the some interesting people uh, living out in the Dead Sea. Um, they, they lived out in caves near the Dead Sea. And so 
That was their reaction to the wickedness of the world. I'm running away. And trust me, running away from wickedness and pollution and nastiness, that's an option. Like, let's just go get away from all these people. And that's the easy way out, though. Because God, in the Great Commission, has called us to go make disciples to all the world. But I don't like them. Tough cookies. I created them all, and I love them all, so by, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to love them all. I don't like it. Fair enough. You don't have to like it, but you're still going to do it. Okay. God's been telling this same story actually over and over and over and over again. Jonah and the whale, right? The whole prophet of Jonah is about the same thing. I want you to go somewhere and do something. Tell them about me. Redeem them. I don't want to. You're going to do it anyway. I don't really don't want to. Okay, whale swallowed me. I got to go back. Okay, it's the same story over and over and over again. Jonah, after he saves the city because of the message he preaches, is so cranky with God. Why didn't you kill him, God? What is wrong with you? I didn't do mass genocide and you're upset with that? Like You're missing the point with the discipleship stuff here. This is over and over and over again in the scripture that we're, we're called because God loves people. We're called to love people. And so how do we build the filters in our life in which we can do that? Uh, filters are important to me in my life as I deal with this. And as I was praying through this message and figuring out how we we're going to talk about this, um, I wanted to, to, sh- to share this. Um, Kindle is going to be the, the, the prime mover of this uh, illustration I told her that this week, and she was like, well, why? Bowen is always the illustration because he's a knucklehead. And Kendall's, you never hear about her because she's a perfect little angel. Except when Kendall was born, they were both were a little preemie. They're twins. Bowen and Kendall are twins. And she was born. Her lungs weren't fully developed. And so when her lungs weren't fully developed, she struggled with asthma. And so at eight weeks of age, she was lifelined in a helicopter to a hospital because we almost lost her. And uh, you want to have a little, little come to Jesus meeting with yourself on that one. That, that'll get your heart racing really quickly, right? She, so she struggled with breathing air. And so I have a reaction to that as her father, as someone who loves her. I can move from Georgia, from a big city. Let's go to Arizona. I can put her in a plastic bubble. I can pump, give her an oxygen mask. I can build the walls around her, but then my little girl doesn't get to be a little girl. So what do I need to do to help with that? I'm going to find the finest health care I could possibly get for my kids. I'm going to build the filters around her. And so um, when the air that you breathe is so important, if she comes in contact, not anymore. She's been, once we moved here, they got a lot better. Um, and you'll see why in a second. But if she comes in contact with allergy season, she would wind up in the hospital. If she came in contact with a cold, Bowen would be over it in 12 hours. Still to this day, he gets sick. He's like, oh, I don't feel good. Go take a nap. He wakes up. I'm good. Like, good for you, buddy. Uh, so that's just how he, Kendall's like down for 10 days. Because if something just touches her lungs, it can't get out. And so the same process is over and over again. So something in my house got really important. Air filters. Now, before I had a daughter with asthma, I figured changing my air filters once every two years was pretty good. (laughs) Yes, and I had a golden retriever lab mix. So I have since repented, okay? Uh, So... (laughs) 
I didn't know it was a thing. I never, like, sorry, Dad, but I never saw him change an air filter my whole life. <laughs> I just never saw it. I never saw it. I'm not saying you didn't do it, but he didn't. <laughs> Welcome back. Uh, so, <laughs> it's not, it's just, we, always, we, always, we always move before this time. Every five years. Um... Anyway, so we've got some filters up here. I picked up from Home Depot for you, You're, and I bought the wrong size in all of them, so I can't take any of them home. Fantastic, Jared. Uh, see how often I do it. This one costs 94 cents. Just, if your daughter has asthma and any pollutants triggers her, is this the one you're going to go with? Probably not, right? I'll tell you a little trick about these little cheap ones. If you uh, do any uh, work in your garage and with sawdust, if you take a box fan, Turn it on. You slap this to the back of it. It'll suck the air through it, and all the sawdust will get caught up in this. This is about the only thing this thing's good for. Right. Um, but there you go. Pro tip. Um, that's what Pinterest is good for for me. Okay, uh, so uh, then you got next level up. Well, this is actually two levels up. Uh, this is the one I bought for my house, but it was the wrong size, so whoops. Um, you've got all kinds of different things are going on here. You can see the baffling is a little tighter. It's going to pull more junk out of there. This is a much steeper investment. That was 94 cents. This one's like 16 bucks, 16 bucks every 90 days. That starts to add up. But when you have an asthmatic daughter, who's the pollutants triggers and winds up in the hospital, guess what? $16 got real cheap, real quick. Right. Then you got, I got the, this is the. Cadillac version of this. This one will stop uh, mold spores, pet dander, and pollen. This is what I need for my house at this moment. This one is like hospital-grade craziness. Microbacteria. It will take out smoke and smog particles. It will even take out odor. I mean, this is industrial strength. This one's actually hard on your furnace because it's so thick of a filter. However, if, my, if it's the question between my daughter being able to breathe and me replacing my furnace every five years, cause what, I can't replace my daughter. I can replace the stupid furnace. Do you hear the, the difference in that? Because the Holy Spirit, how it's talked about in the scripture is the pneuma, the breath of God. And so when we start to build filters in our life, what we're doing is enabling the breath of God to come into our lives and change who we are. And so as we deal with the, yeah, they cost a different amount of money. They require a different amount of, of, of investment to get those filters into our lives. But it's worth it when the opposite of that is someone winding up in the hospital and getting sick. We're surrounded by family members or even ourselves that are on the threshold of getting sick from the pollution of the world all the time. But we're too cheap to invest in the discipleship model that will filter out the junk of our life. We're cheap with our time. We're cheap with our talent. We're cheap with our resources. Like, that's going to cost too much, Jared. I don't want to rethink how I deal with issues. What we're doing is letting pollution into our life that causes us to get sick. And we wonder and we get mad at God, why'd you let this all happen? Discipleship is coming more and more and more like Christ. And how we do that is we, we build these filter parameters around us that start to pull out that stuff. What does that look like? Well, it looks like um, the very simple way of doing this, and, and you can spend the rest of your life studying these two passages of Scripture, is you study the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus just systematically goes through these different pollutants. He goes through lust. He goes through anger. He goes through greed. 
He goes through how to deal with people who don't like you. Like he, he just, he goes systematically through the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said this. I'm telling you this. You heard it said this. I'm telling you this. He just systematically breaks it down. These are the filters in which you have to build. Are those easy? Absolutely not. Are they incredibly important? Yes, they are. You read that and you read the um, Good Samaritan story. You pretty much have the whole gospel and how discipleship works. Love God with everything you have. Love your neighbor as yourself and go make disciples. It's very simple, but it's very hard to do. And it takes a lifetime and it takes a teacher that you're modeling after to try to figure out how to do that. And as a church, we are called to be a church that builds these filters in so that we can be a people that are worth being chased after. Like, how are they doing it? How are they working through that? Because this is nasty. This is hard. This is tough. Well, we're just trying to model ourselves after Jesus. And then hopefully we'll be worthy of modeling it for someone else. See, um, so often we've just said, that's, that's too hard. We're just going to build a wall and not do that anymore. The problem with that is that we don't come in contact with people who need to be shown how to live a better life. Um, I don't struggle with alcoholism. My family, like it's not a thing. Alcohol was never in our home. It's not a deal, right? Um, I'm blessed. Many of you in this, if you grew up in Chicago, alcohol has been a thing for somebody um, because it's everywhere. There's more, like per capita, there's more alcohol stores on this road than I've ever like seen before in my life. That was one thing I noticed when I moved to this area. I was like, holy cow. And it's a thing. It's an issue. It's a, it's, it's stuff. But if I never was going to go to, if I struggled or if I said, you know what? I'm never going to go. I'm going to build a wall. I'm never going to go to a store or a restaurant that has a bar. I couldn't eat anywhere in, in Chicago. Like I think chicken and spice doesn't serve. I could go there. Uh, right. Like, I, I could go there, but I need to f- build the filters in my life where I'm showing my kids. I can be in a place that serves and not have to like be given into drunkenness. I need to build, be built in a place that uh, I can be around this and, and not be given into it. Uh, we str- I pick on alcohol, but the same thing, if you're struggling with lust issues, you're going to, you're never going to be in a spot where like you never see something that's going to cause you to lust. It's not going to happen. And so you've got to build in different filters in which to say, you know what? I'm not going to go to, Ooh, I'm going to go to, okay, how do I work around this? And being transparent enough to say, hey, that's something I stumble with. I've got to, this is why I do the things that I do. I, I don't do this. I don't go here and I don't click on that channel and I don't go here on the internet and I have this built up because this. Not out of a sense of legalism, but as a sense of filtering because I want to show you how I'm going to become more like Christ and not be given into lust. If I have anger issues, how am I going to organize my life in which I'm not struggling with all the control issues that I may or may not struggle with? With the expectation issues that I struggle with. This is what I'm doing. This is, this is why. This is why I'm removing myself from the situation. This is how I'm dealing with it. I got told yesterday by a parent that I was so patient. It's like, it's going on my wall. <laughs> like... You don't even know. Uh, I was like, yay. Uh, but 
the idea behind that is okay. I'm, I'm, I must be doing something. If you knew where I've come from, now I'm doing a lot better. We keep on working through that. 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 Because we keep on trying to build better and better filters in which we can be exposed to dumb situations. We can be exposed to things that maybe once would have caused us to stumble or people around us to stumble. That we build better and better filters in that, that we don't have to be side-trailed, side trailed, side tracked in that. See how that works? It's by studying the, the, the Sermon on the Mount and, go, and looking back through there and going, okay, how does this apply to me? How do I start to work this in my life? How do I live this out? Because once that starts to be lived out, your marriage changes and your kids change. They see this lived out. Is there a, there's a period of like, well, I changed, Jared. Everybody else should follow along with that. Yeah, yeah they need to see it lived out for years. Just because you made a, a, a decision this week, they've seen that happen before as well. Right? You got to keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on. Applying those filters to your life. Uh, let's go back to, to Kindle. Um, I'm going to show some pictures of why filters are so important. Uh, if you can just click through there. This is Georgia. Okay, now that, that water, do you see that water? That's only surface deep, that's only on here. If you struggle with allergies, you should be sneezing right now just by seeing that picture. Okay, that is all pollen because this beautiful event that's going to happen in the first year of April called the Masters, right? You see those beautiful azalea bushes and you just want to swing a golf club. Except if those azaleas are in bloom, so are the pine trees, so is the kudzu, so is everything else. And that's what your car looks like when you wake up in the morning. You guys think you had snow bad. We got to take the, 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 the broom thingies to the pollen. It is disgusting. You start washing off your house. Or you pressure wash your house in the siding. And your house literally changes color from whatever it was through a yellow filter to this. And rivers of yellow pollen just start going down from your house. This is what it is like in Georgia. Now, they also can be playing baseball outside today, so I don't feel too bad for him. Um, but uh, that is what, what everything looks like for about a two, three-month period. It's just yellow. It's so weird the first time you experience it. If you have allergies, it's, it, it clogs you up. It feels like the air is trying to kill you. And when you have an asthmatic daughter, this is not a fun time of year. The filters that happen in our life get very important. Folks, there's seasons in your life where it feels like the very air is trying to kill you. It feels like the world is trying to crush you. And if you don't have the right filters in place through discipleship, it will cause some serious issues. And so as a church, I want to take us on a journey of discovering these filters. These are some of the filters that we have in place. Uh, But before that... Uh, Jesus gives us a promise. This is not my favorite promise, but it's a promise that he gives us. John 16, 33. I have told you these things so that you may have peace. In this world, here's the promise. In this world, you will have trouble. Thank you, Jesus. Right? In this world, you will have trouble. There is pollen. You will have pollution. You will have junk. You will have struggles. That will happen. But, and then we, we kind of missed this part, but take heart. I have over Come the world. And we have access to that overcoming the world by becoming like Jesus. 
by establishing these filters in our life. There's going to be stuff. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean that your life's not going to have issues. There's a promise from Jesus. You will have stuff. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So how do we participate in that protection? How do we participate in that overcomeness? As we become more and more and more like Jesus at this church, this is how we're trying to do it. We have some values that maybe you've seen, maybe you have not seen, but these are the filters in which we're trying to invest in here as a church. First is this. We are a place that values generosity. We are a place that values generosity. If we have this church blows my mind every time we have a special thing that needs to be raised for uh, whether it is uh, tables at Morningstar Mission or it is um, a family in need or whatever you guys go over and above every single time to bless people. It's a place of generosity. It's what we value and that's how we try to become more and more and more like Jesus. Jesus God is a generous God. Second thing is we are a place that values coming home. We value coming home. We had grow just a couple weeks ago here at the church and grow is specifically made for people who are new to the church, want to take their next steps here at the church. And when we talked about um, this value, or I actually asked, why, why did you come back a second time to this church? Why'd you come back a second and third time to this church? And six of the seven people said, cause it felt like home. And that, I'm like, I'm done. I'm good. I'm done. <laughs> like, all right, dismissed. Uh, let's go. Because that's, that's a value of what we want it to feel like is when you walk in this door, it feels like home. We had uh, a baseball mom come to the block party. And, uh, and I said, well, what would you think? You know, I, I could always trust her to give me a straight opinion. She's one of my favorite baseball moms. And she said, Jared, this place just feels like home. I said, oh, right. And it doesn't matter if someone comes back every week or not come back, but if they're having this feeling of, I can, I know I'm safe there. I know I can come home there. Then we're doing our job. Well, so we have to have this value of coming home and talk about more of that later. We are a place that values families. We value families. This is why we preach on marriages. It's why we have the best kids ministry we possibly can have. We have our best, our best team members in kids ministry. If you work in kids ministry, you are our best. They are top notch. We actually have the best in the world working in our kids ministry. Like we are blessed. Um, you're like, what does this mean? Come to that message and you'll find out. But uh, we are, we are a place that values families. We have an amazing student ministry. We love these kids. We love teenagers. Isn't that crazy? We put a value on teenagers. We invest heavily into our student ministry. Five years, five, six years ago, when I first got here, Perry, Paul and Kevin and I invested probably a thousand or 2000 hours. I think reinventing the student space downstairs because we value families. We are a place that values families. This is something we're going to be. We want to show that to the world that we can be a place that values family. We are a place that values excellence in all things. We value excellence in all things, not perfection, excellence. There's a big difference. Um, it's hilarious. Some of the reports I got back from the women's uh, conference. I think some of you ladies are scared to death of Kelly, which is fine. You should be because I am. Uh, but, but people were doing stuff. And they're like, you don't want to do that. Why not? Well, that's not excellent. 
What do you mean it's not excellent? Is that the best you can do right now? No. Okay. Excellence just simply just means it's the best you possibly can do at this moment. It doesn't mean perfection, but is this the best I can do? Yeah. Or no. Cause it feels good to do excellent things. Okay. And we are a place that values excellence in all things. This is why you have no handwritten signs. <clears throat> anyway, we are a place that values biblical teaching. We are a place that values biblical teaching. Uh, I try to teach from the Bible as much as possible. If I get to a place where I'm not teaching scripture, uh, please yell at me. We got problems, but we, we invest in the scripture because we want to be rooted in the Bible. We want to be rooted in who God is. We are a place that values prayer. Um, we may not be the most boisterous prayers in the world. Um, we're not loud with it, but there are prayer warriors in this room right now who are on their knees for you, praying for you by name, by situation on a daily basis. And it is, it's evident and it's beautiful. And when we hear the stories of redemption, we hear the stories of, of spiritual and emotional and physical healing because we are a place that values prayer. We are a place that values stories of redemption. I love this. This is what I, I, I love this part. I love going, I was this and now I'm this. What's the difference? God happened. I love listening to stories of redemption. I love it when uh, Kevin gets roped in on making a huge video project because I know what's going to be happening is someone's telling a story of redemption. It's beautiful. We are a place that values worship. Not just the singing on, on stage, but we value the attitude of adoration of God. Who he is, seeing him in nature, seeing him in all the things that he does. We are a place that values worship. Finally, we are a place that values serving. We value serving. Whether that's our community or whether that's our church, we value serving. These are filters. When we go for uh, creating a place of home, we, we want to create safe places. This is a, a Jesus mindset of let's create a place that is a safe and inviting and that people can put down all the troubles they have of the world and feel okay here. Cause that's what Jesus does over and over and over and over and over again. He can, he gets thrust into situations where uh, women are caught in the act of adultery and he makes her feel safe and warm. That is the example of discipleship that we have. So here as a church, we've got to live up to that. Right? And over and over again, all these are filters in which we need to conduct ourselves. And so we can uh, live this out. Because there's a world out there that's full of pollution, full of stuff, full of junk that we've got to start building the filters and helping other people build the filters to live the lives that God has called them to be. This morning, um, there is a big push in my, just in my own heart that we need to submit to these, these filters. We need to apply these filters in our life. We're going to have like 10 weeks of talking about these things, of diving deep into them. Because it's so important about what we are breathing in. Are we breathing the spirit of God into our lives? Are we incorporating that into us? Is that who we're becoming? Are we doing uh, being methetes? Are we being like Lucy to E? And whenever we say, I'm going to wear your shoes. I'm going to put on your fingernail polish. I'm going to say the things you do. I'm going to hold my hair. I want to put my hair back when you have your hair back. And I want to wear a coat when you wear a coat. I want to be just like you. It's the attitude in which we need to bring to Jesus. We can't just pick and choose. We're not at some sort of some restaurant where we just, oh, I like that one. I don't like this one. I like that. That's not how this works. It's fully in, fully following 
Jesus as our Savior. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for today. Lord, we, um, we ask for you to be a part of us. We ask for you to prompt us to be your disciple. We ask for you to shape us. We ask for you to um, create in us a different kind of heart. And God, in this moment, in this time, um, Lord, maybe we've kind of been picking and choosing or just going the cheap route on the filters. And Lord, I just ask you for the, the courage and the strength and the stamina to, and the obedience to go all in, to invest fully in you. That we try to be like you when we wake up and we try to be like you when our head hits the pillow at night. That in every decision we're made and everything that we're trying to do, we're trying to be like you, Jesus. God, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us at church this week. I hope you enjoyed this week's teaching. If you have any questions or comments, shoot an email to office at scog.com to continue to support our mission to reach, grow, and serve our community for Christ. You can give online at scog.com or through the app. See you next week.